0: And Today I'm joined in studio, speaking of being in your feelings, by a special guest, uh, Ken Gishinga, who is the chief economist of Mentoria Economics, but you definitely recognize him as the voice on the show yesterday, which is the Financial Forecast. Welcome, Ken.
1: Thanks for having me, or
0: I guess it's, you're now just my colleague because <laughs> you've got the show last yesterday evening. Uh, you're here this morning. I heard you slept here last night. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it is early to ask you to come in at 8. Uh, but we, we appreciate you being with us here today. And, Ken, uh, a little bit off air, we were I was saying to you, I hope one day that we can have you on this show and we're here to just talk about how flourishing the economy is and how people aren't suffering and all of the good news because sometimes it feels like when when we when we come on to talk it's just it's a little bit depressing
1: absolutely I, you know i i believe in conveying hope and good news and i really believe proper economic planning mm. um, can lift a country um, into prosperity, and that's what I really hope um, that one day we'll, uh, we'll get there.
0: Yeah, me me, me too, absolutely. And today I, uh, we're talking a little bit about the national budget, which is going to be tabled for tomorrow. And I was mentioning to you how I know that there's supposed to be like a Manainchi budget that is uh, printed online for access to everybody so that we can, people like myself who's not an economist, I can begin to understand what the national budget is about, what is being proposed, but I can't find that online. Uh, so I don't know when that's going to be published, but I'm, I'm so happy that you're here to kind of break it down with me and so that we can talk a little bit about it. Now, uh, I wanted to start by looking at uh, the government's plan, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong at any point here. But uh, they, they have this economic turnaround inclusive growth plan, and the government aims to generate a revenue of three trillion shillings in the budget year 2023-2024. Is that number even possible? And, and what how how uh, much were we able to generate uh, last year, or this past year?
1: Uh, well, many thanks again, Sony, for having me. Um, and indeed, you talked about the Muananchi budget. Uh, typically, it should be on the Treasury website. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, possibly, it'll be put up today, but uh, you're right. In terms of public participation, it should be quite there, much earlier. In fact, one of the most common questions that we get is, can you get us a an 90 version? Yeah, was, I'm, I'm always like that's we can we can we can, we can summarize it for you. Uh, but yeah, it's it's I think it's something that uh, officials should sort of take it up very quickly because mm-hmm. this has to be the most talked about finance bill possibly in the history of all money bills in Kenya, uh, and every Kenyan is very interested right now. You know, many years ago, um, budget used to be for a few policymakers and economists, and most people didn't quite really follow what's happening but today even the mamamboga mm. wants to have a copy of that finance bill so it's for me it's encouraging that people are getting more involved in what's happening uh, with the national national finances and they make that linkage between the country and their own uh personal uh growth and development so it's 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 a good thing um in terms of the budget we've talked about uh 3.6 trillion mm-hmm. uh, that's not just pure revenue that's going to be what the government gets from taxes plus borrowing so that's the size of the budget. Wow. So part of it will be raised through the taxes you and I pay, mm-hmm. and part of it will be raised through uh, the uh, the borrowing targets, both domestically and externally. This is up from about uh, 3.2 uh, the previous year. And the question, you know, most people ask is, can we be able to handle this much debt? Because part of this will be uh, uh, a significant debt. In fact, last Friday... The central bank governor, the outgoing central bank governor, said uh, we've almost hit the maximum in terms of how much we can borrow domestically. So the national treasury needs to start thinking about um, some sort of consolidation because too much debt can really weigh heavily on the country's growth.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, And I think part of, you know, you're talking about everybody sort of paying attention to the finance bills and and the national budget, and I think it's because we're really feeling the pinch now. Uh, We're we're feeling it in our day-to-day lives. And when you talk about uh, national debt, It it feels like this government is really pushing a lot of that responsibility to the people uh, via raising prices for basic goods like unga, sugar, uh, via raising prices for things like petrol. So I'm wondering how you you talk about wanting to inspire hope. And I'm I'm wondering, where is that hope in uh, this budget that's being proposed for this coming year?
1: Well, first, it's important to say that Kenya is an incredible country with um, incredible um, investment uh, credentials. Number one, we have a very young uh, labor force, um, median age is 19 years. So this is a country that is on its way up. We have good infrastructure and we have a very diversified economy, unlike most countries in West Africa that are dependent on oil and Mm -hmm. minerals. Kenya is really diversified. You have tourism, you have agriculture, you have um, uh, banking, you have finance. So that makes Kenya a more stable country. So Fundamentally, the fundamentals for Kenya are still very intact in terms of a good place to invest, and I've already talked about its strategic location, you know, on the continent where you're pretty much four five hours to every major capital. So there are things that are very much and uh, a very well-educated labour force. So there are things that are very much uh, in favour of this country being being successful. To your point, I think what's held us back is our fiscal policy, our tax policies. Uh, have been very heavy on uh, taxation of the ordinary monarchy, particularly what we call consumption taxes. So these are taxes on your bread, on your sugar, on your baby formula. These things make the cost of living uh, so much higher for people, and they also make the cost of production, the cost of doing business uh, not very favorable. So, for example, if you add 16% VAT on bread, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, people uh, can only afford so much of it which means even the bakeries can only produce so much of it right. and then they have to lay off people because there isn't enough demand in the market which can lead to unemployment. So I think as I said the f- in terms of the fundamentals being intact our fiscal policy has not been supportive of growth and that's possibly the reason that you're finding you know anger on the streets mm-hmm. demonstrations around it because the cost of living together with inflation even before uh, the the taxation issues came into place we already had COVID, which triggered a whole series of inflation globally. The Russia Ukraine made fuel prices go up. Um, the shilling against the dollar made it uh, weaken. So th- we've had international factors and domestic factors really coming together to make this a very difficult situation. And our hope and our prayer has always been that policymakers, you know, put Kenyans first yeah. and come up with policies that are business friendly and employment friendly.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when you talk about um, the economic plan, I saw the six pillars in this budget really do look at, like you're saying, how robust Kenya is in terms of uh, the different industries in which we can be uh, financially viable. So I see... Uh, agriculture, micro, small, and medium enterprises. Uh, th- there's, of course, the housing uh, housing and settlement, health care, digital superhighway, creative economy. So it does look like uh, this budget is looking across the board to, to for ways to reach that target of 3.6 trillion shillings in, in terms of the budget.
1: You know, when I think of, uh, and I, I like that you started with agriculture being the bedrock of the economy, uh, at the point of independence, we just marked 60 years, uh, agriculture constituted about 40% of our GDP. Right now it's down to almost half, about 20, 21%. So one of the big themes in the last 60 years has been the decline of agriculture and the idea that we need to put agriculture back because um, agriculture has a way of lifting almost everybody. Everybody can participate in that sector from the very wealthy to the very poor. They all have a slot in agriculture. So when we were discussing this uh, finance bill, you know, much of what you hear out there has been really about VAT on fuel, mm-hmm. the housing fund. But for me, I've been very keen looking at agricultural policies. Are we getting um, farmers back to work? Are we getting produce? Because this country has the potential to be able to be uh, a leader in terms of agriculture.
0: And actually, uh, last week, we were talking to... Uh, shoot, I'm going to rem- uh, forget the name here. But we were talking... Uh, to a company about the desire to get more of the youth into farming. Because I think when you think farming, you think of maybe somebody older out in a field somewhere like hoeing the land where there's a lot of opportunities for a digitalization digitalization in term in the agricultural sector and technology to really move us forward.
1: Well, that's very exciting. You're right. I mean, the average age of the farmer in Kenya is about 65. Yeah. Uh, and there is a big need to get um, younger people And younger people actually like to think of it as agribusiness. They don't like using the word agriculture (laughs) and farming. You have to make it a bit uh, more interesting. Exactly. So it has to be agribusiness. And, And indeed, there is quite a bit of opportunity. We've seen young farmers coming in and planting avocados and selling to China and making very good money. So it is a reality that's starting to come up. But for me, I'm normally more focused on the policies because, yes, you can mm-hmm. have an allocation in the budget to agriculture, but how much of that is being just spent in Nairobi, in workshops and seminars, and how much of that is actually going? Because, you know, agriculture is a devolved function. It belongs to the counties, but uh, I fear we spend quite a bit of it in Nairobi. Yeah. And, uh, and Nairobi is not farmland. No. Uh, but where it's really needed is, you know, extension services, you know, really getting to the farm in the last mile, and helping him think through, you know, the acidity of the soil. What new crops can you grow? Because one of the challenges we have in Kenya is we are always growing the same crops. We exhaust uh, the soil. We don't rotate. Mm-hmm. So being able to give that advice. So I think even when you talk about allocation to agriculture, for me, I don't find the conversion should stop. There, it should going. It should actually should get categories on exactly where is it going. Is it going to extension services? Is it going to training? Or is it just really staying in Nairobi right. and people just you know, going on? We need to get that kind of uh, granularity for us to be uh, convinced. But also, it's important to say that there is a pan African agreement that says African governments should dedicate about 10% of their budget to agriculture. That's hmm. never really been it's called the Malabo I Declaration. Didn't know that. Interesting, yes. yeah, exactly. But I don't think many countries still. Um, honor that so yeah. that's another area that I think we cons- consistently need to remind policymakers.
0: absolutely and, I, and I, I really hear you when you're talking about like this budget that's allocated it can sound great that we've got this budget for agriculture but is it getting to that farmer that 65 year old farmer who you're saying you know is uh, out in the field uh, hoeing the land is it getting to that individual and I think that's, that's uh, what we want to keep our eye on
1: Yes, indeed. You know, when you think of last night when you had this chat with Danny, he was telling me about Brazil, Kenya and Brazil. You know, Kenya used to outdo Brazil in terms of beef production, and now Brazil is almost like a global leader. Yeah. Talk about milk. India came to study about milk, the dairy sector, from Kenya, and now India is like the largest producer of milk in the world. So there's Mm -hmm. so much Kenya has been blessed with Mm -hmm. in terms of our heritage, but I don't think we've always i um, utilized it to the maximum gain Potential. of this country. And, and for me, I think that is the missing link towards us coming back and having that conversation on prosperity, which you reminded us at the very beginning
0: yeah absolutely and i and uh i'm really i'm loving this conversation of course if you have any questions for ken who is the chief economist that's how i say it right chief economist at mentoria economics uh please let us know on 0701 984 984. you can tweet us at 984 in the morning using the hashtag drive in we're gonna be talking all about the national budget this hour so make sure you get your questions in and today I am joined in studio by Ken Gishinga, the chief economist of Mentoria Economics. But I like to just think of you as my colleague because you're also on the financial forecast yesterday evening from 6.30 to 7.30 where you were having a conversation with Danny. It's so great to have you in the studio this morning, Ken.
1: It's good to be here in the morning. I'm used to seeing the studio late in the evening. So it's <laughs> good to see uh, the crew up and alley.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's been such a pleasure to have you. And you know, we're talking today about the national budget that's being tabled tomorrow and how it impacts uh, everyday people and and what what we can we as Kenyans can expect uh, from from the budget as a whole.
1: Uh, you know, there have been surveys that have been put out there, and you know, one particular survey in today's dailies has said about ninety percent of Kenyans um, oppose the Finance Bill 2023, and 75% um, strongly um, oppose it. And to a certain extent, it's it's a sense of concern because mm-hmm. uh, these bills are supposed to contribute to the higher standards of living uh, amongst Kenyans. Yeah. So, If a lot of people feel those objectives are not being achieved, then it raises a lot of questions about not only our economy, but our politics.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder when, when we talk about 90 percent of Kenyans not agreeing with this bill, uh, it makes me feel like, you know, we're always being asked to be civically engaged. We're being asked to come out to the polls and vote. We're being asked our opinions, but sometimes it doesn't feel like we're being heard. And I'm wondering what what can we do to uh, take action and make a stand when when we're, we're the ones facing the brunt of these everyday prices going up and and increases in taxes?
1: Well, I I mean, I think the easy way route has really been what we've been seeing in everyday demonstrations. That's one way that um, the Constitution allows peaceful um, demonstrations. But I think uh, we need to think deeper about this issue in the sense to what extent do parliamentarians represent uh, the will of the people? Mm -hmm. Because if I was a parliamentarian and I read that statistic, 90% oppose and 75% strongly oppose you know, I'd really want to dig a bit deeper. So that question of to what extent can our parliamentarians uh, represent us? And and so this is an interesting topic. And I'm an economist. I'm not a political um, analyst. But um, India is just marking 75 years of independence. And I had a chat with an Indian friend of mine, and we were just discussing about the electoral process in India versus Kenya. Mm-hmm. And India is a subcontinent. You're talking about well, of a billion. I mean, India is going to overtake China yeah. in terms of uh, the size, but they're able to get uh, the electoral process very, very right. And I asked him, "How do they do this?" And Kenya is is not even big enough to be the one state in, <laughs> in in India. It's always a challenge. And they said he told me something very fascinating. He said in India, anybody can be called upon to oversee a regional election. So it's almost like jury duty in the U.S. Where anybody above 18 years. So five days before the elections, mm. uh, you are assigned a very random place. So you say, Sonny, you're going to Lamu mm. to oversee the Lamu uh, parliamentarian elections. You have five days to go. Then you can't refuse, even if you have wedding days on that day. Really, you can't refuse. So and you know, in five days, it's very you can do very little yeah. to compromise an election. And that's how India has been able to get leaders who truly represent the will of the people because I fear in Kenya the challenge of our politics is unless you're part of the big formations mm-hmm. as an independent it's very very difficult but sometimes there are people who are able to make it through but maybe they are rigged out yeah. and then they, they do speak about it so I think part of it has been part of the electoral reform we need to do it but the fact that a country the size of India has got it yeah. I think we should really challenge ourselves and ask, are we getting the leaders who can truly represent the will of the people?
0: Absolutely, because earlier you asked how much should these uh, parliamentarians represent our will and and I believe, like, I would say even 80%, 90%, you know, because I, 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 I can understand that sometimes there are going to be some uh, policies in place that maybe individuals aren't happy with but it's I we we made the um, analogy of like a parent being like you have to eat your vegetables like I know you don't want to but you have to right but uh, overall especially you know this government ran on the on uh, one of their grounds was that they wanted to in- increase youth employment rates because like you said uh, our median age is 19 and and it feels like when the economy is struggling like this, you know, how, how are people going to create jobs and and get get these em- the employment that uh, was promised?
1: Uh, you know, employment is a function of business viability because it's businesses that employ people. Yes, government can employ, but government has a limited uh, capacity of employing people. Yes. So it's a private sector that can absorb uh, the vast majority of Kenyans. So the question you have to ask is: Are businesses doing well? At a time, you're raising the cost of fuel. Mm-hmm. And VAT on fuel, you know, is going from 8% to 16%. In fact, if you listen to the chairman of the finance committee, he says the reason they're doing that is because of administrative costs. Mm-hmm. They said it's easier for people who, for um, oil marketers that are buying at 16% to be able to uh, administer that. And I am I listened to that and was a bit surprised because, first of all, We've had this 8% for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's been there. But second of all, he's telling us that the administrative needs almost supersede the needs of a lower cost of living yeah. and a better business environment. And I found that extremely uh, disturbing uh, because you want to make sure the cost of living, if first, is low. The cost of doing business is low. Administrative functions can always be um, addressed. can get more accountants you can get more. But the fact that the priority is administrative part of it, I found that uh, first it was very unconvincing, uh, but I also found that uh, a bit bit worrying.
0: Yeah, and you talk about uh, almost this burden being on the private sector, but if the private sector is also not flourishing, uh, they're not able to provide jobs either, not to mention, as the cost of living goes up, it's not like you're seeing salary inc- increments in the private sector either uh, that reflect the higher cost of living. So you're earning the same that you were last year, maybe two years ago, if you're in the same role, and you're but you're still expected to be able to you know pay these extra costs to even get to work or put food on your table, your family's table.
1: Uh, you know, Sony, somebody who earns uh, fifty thousand shillings today mm-hmm. will take home twenty nine thousand shillings after deductions, statu- statu- statutory obligations these are the things that are complicating uh, the individual lives of Kenyans because with that 29,000 you expected now to do so many things, not just for you but for uh, your family for your community and that so it tells you that we need to return this country back to the conversation of making businesses thrive because when businesses thrive they hire more people mm-hmm. and you reduce the level of unemployment that lens has not been the lens that um, I see from the proposals that are coming. If anything, I'm seeing a uh, higher cost of doing business, uh, which actually means more layoffs because businesses have to now uh, reallocate the costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's important because you know, the bill has not yet been finalized as the debates uh, take place that really we remind our leaders that what we want is a healthy business environment that is jobs friendly.
0: And you know, you you talked about uh, somebody who earns fifty thousand taking home twenty nine. And when I when I hear that, I think of you know these socialist countries where there are high taxation rates, but you see that coming back to the people by free uh education for like primary school or you know good roads to drive on or s- heavily subsidized health care. So if I'm being taxed as much as I am, if I can see the value in other places where it alleviates some of my own spend, then it becomes a conversation that feels worth it to the everyday person
1: uh, you know that's exactly the narrative in the Nordic countries when you go to Finland and Denmark and Norway and Sweden uh, they have high, almost half of your salary goes. But you're right. You get uh, free primary education. You get actually up to university. Mm -hmm. For education, the quality of uh, life is up. But, you know, Kenya has been a market economy for a long time. And a market economy means that the private sector should be the driver. Unlike in the Nordic countries where the public sector is a driver, Kenya has preferred to have the private sector Uh, be sort of like the driver of the economy. Mm -hmm. And when you have a market-driven private sector economy, it means the burden of government needs to be lower so that private sector can thrive. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you end up with this phrase in economics that we call crowding out the private sector. When the government's uh, um, uh, space becomes too large, you end up crowding out the private sector, even if in terms of loans, loans that should be going to businesses end up going to government, so we have to remember that we are a market economy and we'll have to allow the private sector to thrive but for the private sector to thrive it needs space it needs the space to thrive and if the role of government becomes too heavy you end up crowding out and investors start you know running away if you look at the headlines you know yeah. on the nation today yeah it's you know why are investors in Kenya. We right. talk about increased taxation as, as as one of them. So we have to be careful to make sure Kenya is an attractive place because people love Kenya. People love visiting Kenya. People love the beauty of Kenya. People want to do the business in Kenya. And, you know, but we need also our policies that complement. It can't just be campaigns we run on CNN. <laughs> it has to be something more about how attractive it is to do business. You know, when you go to Rwanda today you can register a whole business in a day. Yeah. In a week, mm-hmm. you can already meet senior officials in government and start doing business. So I think we need to make Kenya competitive. That's the word.
0: Yeah, I love that. And on that note of hope, uh, that's where I want to close out our conversation today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Ken, to have you in studio with me today. Thank you for all of your knowledge and for constantly coming in to talk to us. You've talked to us here on The Fuse and, of course, on your show, The Financial Forecast. Where can we continue to listen to you, find information from you if we want? Uh, maybe people have more questions. Where can we reach out?
1: Uh, well, uh, we publish a weekly report. I'd encourage people to sign up for every Monday.
0: That's Monday. on Mentoria Economics. Correct. Okay. We do
1: publish a weekly report every Monday morning. So uh-huh. just send an email to info at mentoria.co.ke and you'll subscribe to our weekly global markets report.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much, Ken, and definitely don't miss out on his show. It happens on Tuesdays at 6.30 to 7.30 right here on your best mix of music. Uh, Keep talking to us on 0701-984-984. You can tweet us at 984 in the morning. Uh, Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you very much.